0: I'd like you to turn in your Bibles back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to continue my series of gleanings and highlights from the book of Corinthians. And we're going to read in a moment from chapter 1. But before we do that, I want to draw your attention to a remarkable verse of Scripture, something that Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11 and verse 25. Should be appearing on the screen. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. My title this morning is The Wisdom of Men and the Wisdom of God. And we see straight away that God calls us to have a childlike faith, a simple faith, not a simplistic faith. But a simple faith, trusting God, and a little child can trust him, and an old person can trust him. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how sophisticated you are, how educated or uneducated you are. It is all the same, a matter of turning your heart to Christ and putting your trust in him. That is the wisdom of God. Now the Apostle Paul is dealing with forms of human wisdom that was invading the church in Corinth. And I'm choosing to spend some time in the book of Corinthians as the Holy Spirit leads so that we can see the parallel between that Corinthian community of believers of that day and us today in modern Britain, 21st century London. And I believe that similar things are happening. The wisdom of this world is invading the church of Jesus Christ. And it's very hard sometimes to find an ordinary believer who can declare the wisdom of God, not just quote text, not just preach, not just Bible thump, but somebody who understands the wisdom of God and applies it to their life and has a word of wisdom for their family, for their community, for their workplace, and beyond even to the nation itself. Would to God that more of the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit would be, take hold of the movers and shakers of our nation, the power brokers, the business men and women, the media moguls, as well as those in government. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 and onwards. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect made foolish the wisdom of this world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I don't believe you can find a greater contrast than the contrast between divine wisdom and human foolishness. Even the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of man. The Apostle Paul is drawing on some prophetic utterance of Isaiah found in Isaiah chapter 29 to explain that not only is human wisdom real foolishness, it doesn't last, it doesn't work, and it will fail. Whatever human wisdom you are trusting in today, let me tell you, it is going to fail you. I pray that it will fail you before it's too late. Because if you carry on your foolishness into the next life, it will sure as. Sure. (laughs) Sure. I nearly said sure as hell, which is exactly what I mean. It will. It will. It will fail you. Jesus said, Those who hear these sayings of mine and build their house on a rock, that's the rock of my teaching, they are wise. And no matter how fine your house is constructed, not just your physical place of residence, but the house of your life, no matter how fine it is, and how if it is not on the foundation of Christ, it will collapse. And so God says, do not trust in human wisdom, but trust in divine wisdom. Let's have a look at Isaiah 29 verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will again do a marvelous work among this people, a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hidden. Then he he speaks stronger. Don't forget, this is a man who is full of the Spirit of God, who is under the anointing of God, crying out from the heart of God, and he says, verse 15, Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, "'Who sees us? Who knows us? Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, "'He didn't make me.' Or shall the thing formed say of him who formed it, "'He has no understanding?' That's exactly what people are saying today. God isn't going to see us. He can't stop us. He didn't make us. He doesn't know better than us. We know better than Him. This shows what's at the root of human foolishness and mere human thinking. That is, thinking that is rooted in rebellion against God. Now, it wasn't always this way. When God made us, he made us in his image, and originally that image was perfectly reflected in the human personality. One of the things that meant was that God made us with a rational mind, with the capacity to reason, to think, to imagine, to create, to discover, to plan, and to reason through some of the great challenges of life and living. But the Bible says that when humanity turned its back upon God, they didn't become wise. They thought they were going to be wise. Even Eve at the fruit thinking that it would make her wise, but it didn't make her wise at all. And many people who think that they have the best, fine-sounding, plausible wisdom, or the best wisdom of this world, are actually expressing foolishness because wisdom is not just a matter of academic, intellectual knowledge. It also has to do with your moral character and your spiritual being. And so just like the potter might might find it very strange. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's only a metaphor, but here's a picture. It's almost comical. There is a potter shaping something on on the potter's wheel out of clay, and then suddenly the the pot cries out and says, Who are you? Don't touch me. You think you're making me? You're not making me. I'm making myself. And I know better than you do. No, no, no. Let's get it right. He is the potter. I am the clay. And God has a right to make me, shape me in any way that he chooses. Amen and amen. So rejection of God is rooted in this idea of rebellious independence. I can make my life work my way. How foolish, how foolish. And so we need to know that understanding is more than intellectual potential, but it has to do with how we live. Wisdom is about right living, life that works. And, and, and you know, this is what wisdom really is, making life work, but making life work God's way is God's wisdom. And there might be a whole mass of complex issues, but God knows just where to move in and just what to put right. He's the creator of us all. We have many men of science, but too few men of God. That's what was said by a man called Omar Bradley, one of the generals of the Second World War who fought for the U.S. Army in the Second World War. He was also in the First World War. And in 1948, at the Armistice Day, that is the 11th of November, he made a speech at the ceremony. This is what he said. With the monstrous weapons man already has, and don't forget, that's 1948, and it's over 100 years ago. No, it's not. It's a century ago. Well, it's a long time ago. We are now in the next century. All right. (laughs) With the monstrous weapons man already has, humanity is in danger of being trapped in this world by its moral adolescence. They can make the atom bomb. They're that sophisticated scientifically, but morally, adolescence, I think that's even a compliment. The, the kids. Then he goes on to say, our knowledge of science has clearly outstripped our capacity to control it. Isn't that what's happening? If science can do it, then we must do it. Forget the morality. We must do it. If science can do it, we must do it. We have many men of science, too few men of God. We have grasped the mystery of the atom and rejected the Sermon on the Mount. Man is stumbling blindly through a spiritual darkness while toying with the precarious secrets of life and death. The world has achieved brilliance without wisdom, power without conscience. Ours is a world of nuclear giants and ethical infants. We know more about war than we know about peace, more about killing than we know about living. This is our 20th century's claim to distinction and to progress. So when we talk about wisdom, we're not just talking about scientific knowledge and ability and the progress of humanity over the centuries, bringing us so many wonderful discoveries and, uh, in the realm of medicine and, and music and art and architecture and economics and so on. But today, our lack of wisdom is even turning away from the pure facts of science. So our moral lack of wisdom, our moral uh, foolishness is even drowning our scientific knowledge so that we can have our way in the world. Let me give you an example. Biological science, the definition of life. What does science tell us about the beginning of life? Nobody can argue this. Nobody even attempts to argue against this. According to science and biology, life begins at conception. And I remember many, many years ago, after the 1967 Abortion Act, and then there were various amendments that were, taking, were being brought forward, I was in the Houses of Parliament in the Strangers' Gallery just listening to the debate on, on, on this when um, um, a man named uh, Corrie, an MP, was bringing a bill, private members bill, and David Ennals, who was the Labour Secretary of Health, I believe at the time, was leading the speech against these amendments. And this is how we started. I remember it, I haven't written it down. I remember as if it was yesterday. David Enel stood up in the Houses of Parliament and asked this question, what is life? And he said, for him it's a highly complex question, but it seems to me to be reasonable to define life in these terms, that which is capable of independent existence meaning straight away that a baby in a womb that cannot live independently, in other words, is not viable on its own. That's not a life. And if that was not shocking enough, which has governed our abortion laws ever since, if that's not shocking enough today, people are taking it further. We warned at the time that if you don't stick to truth, whether it's scientific truth or whether it is biblical truth. If you don't stick to truth and you start making it up as you go along, there is no telling where it will end up. And what is shocking to us today but soon will not be shocking amongst popular opinion if popular opinion is influenced by these people who are forcing their immorality, amorality and false philosophy on us and even squeezing science out. Now the question is not, is it just possible to be able to live outside the womb? That's not enough, you see. We've got to ask, when is a life a person? Because only when a person is a person can you say that it's a life. What do they mean by that? You say, well, that's not, that, what does that mean? It doesn't mean very much to me. Let me tell you what it means. It means that now they are defining life as conscious self-existence. So that not just can you live biologically, and survive outside the womb, but are you conscious that you are a person? Are you conscious? Do you have self-understanding? Do you have self-awareness as a person? And so now it is up to the psychologists to tell us, well, maybe it two, three, or four, that's when you become conscious as a person. And some are saying even as much as six years of age, which means now there are moves for people to move abortion to not just be destroying life in the womb, but even after it has been born up until the age of three, four, five, and six. Why? It's the same reasoning. It's the same reasoning. Also, when we think in terms of gender, gender is a biological fact. You are male or female, XX or XY. That's it. Now, we know that there are some genetic Problems, and there's a breakdown sometimes in this simple, normal genetic makeup, and that's another category altogether. But for the vast, vast, vast majority of people who are born on this planet, they are born male or female. But now we're told your gender is not anything to do with your biology or your genes or your chromosomes, it has to do with your personal choice. It depends on how you feel. So, if you feel that you are male and you actually are female, well, then we will help you adjust. You can take on a male identity. And that's what is happening. And not just in transgender situations, transsexual situations. People who have made no alteration to their body in any biological way are perfectly free to be a man if, if they choose to be, whether they're a man or a woman, to be a woman or whatever. It doesn't matter. Or to be somewhere in between. So much so that various governments are looking into producing identity documents that give you the choice. You can choose to be male, you can choose to be female, or you can choose to have a more neutral description of who you are. And they say this is because we want to give people their human rights to choose to be who they are. Can you see how science has been thrown out altogether? So even when certain scientific knowledge gives us something which is good and and trustworthy, the, the foolishness of human heart is able to pervert even science and they tell us that we are ramming our religion down their throats simply because we believe in the God of the Bible for which there is so much evidence that even atheists and skeptics today are acknowledging that there is proof that God exists and where social science studies are showing us that the best way of living in families is a man and a woman in marriage living together under a lifelong commitment, bringing children up in that security, not, I must say, in the standard nuclear Western sense of the family. Because that's not biblical. Some of you people who come from overseas, you know, you have cousins and uncles and aunts all over the place. And something of the extended family that we see in in different parts of the world, we need to learn from in our nation. But God has taken the solitary and placed them in families. But despite that, our government and others say, no, we can redefine male and female. We don't have to think about biology when we talk about what is a legitimate expression of sexuality. Why? Because the foolishness of human thinking is being opposed on the facts of science and certainly, certainly leading to a rejection of the wisdom of God. Now, when I speak about such things like that, I never fail to come back and make this point. Psalm 103, verse 14. For he, God, knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. There will be women here today, probably, who have experienced an abortion either before you were a believer and increasingly more so now as believers. There'll be people who's had their families ripped apart by divorce, by the pain of separation, by desertion, People whose family life certainly does not fit in to the uh, apple pie image, which is not God's image anyway. Do you understand? So I want to say God is a God of compassion, and He is a great God of healing and restoration. And everybody is welcome in Kensington Temple. Whatever your history, whether you are divorced, whether you are married or unmarried, whether you are homosexual, you are all welcoming Kensington Temple because we are here to speak the word of God to heal and restore. However, if you want to move on with God and you want what we have, which is discipleship, then you are buying into the vision of Christ for your life. And we are here to help you and shape you and encourage you, not to condemn you and criticize you, but to help you and be a fellow soldier with you in the trenches to help you fight your battles so that Christ may be fully formed in your life. And there isn't any single one of us that comes up to that perfect ideal of God's wisdom. We are reaching out more and more to God's wisdom because we're getting rid of that human foolish wisdom. But it's complicated today because there is increasing and sometimes intolerable pressure on Christians to conform to the wisdom of this world. To conform to the patterns, the forms, and the so-called norms of this world. And we need to recover confidence in the wisdom of God God knows best. He has given us a gift of sexuality. And he knows best where that gift operates. That is exclusively within God's covenant of marriage. Between a man and a woman. Amen and amen. 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 God knows how families work best. God knows how our emotional life works best. And so wisdom We need to grow and increase in that. Let me explain to you this very special understanding of wisdom that I am speaking to you about today. Wisdom is not just knowledge. It is knowing how. How, Knowing how. Knowing how to fix something. Knowing how something works. Knowing what we must do very specifically so that God's purpose will be fulfilled in our lives. And I want to tell you that by giving you an illustration, a story. It's a true story of Henry Ford. Remember Henry Ford from Ford Cars? When he started making the, the Tin Lizzie, the Ford, the model Ford T where everybody and nobody was, was driving it, production uh, on, on, in, the, in the car manufacturing. And the, uh, so it was an amazing innovation. And he asked an, an, an electrical genius to help him build generators to run this factory. And he got a hold of a man called Charlie Steinmetz to build this generator. And everything was going well until one day the generators broke down. And they couldn't find a repairman. Nobody knew the technology. And so they had to call Steinmetz in. And Steinmetz came in, and he tinkered here, and he tinkered there, and after a few hours, everything was working. So they applauded him. And uh, Henry Ford took him by the hand and said, Thank you, send me the bill. And uh, Steinmetz said, I sure will. When the bill arrived, Henry Ford nearly collapsed. One, uh, no, $10,000. Now that's back in the day, all right. That's a lot of money. $10,000 and uh, Ford was incensed and he said $10,000 that's a lot of money to for be tinkering around for a few hours I want you to break down this invoice and tell me what it's for well um, uh, Steinmetz uh, did that just that and this is how he wrote he said $10 um, for tinkering and uh, $9,990 for knowing where to tinker <laughs> that's wisdom That's wisdom. That's wisdom. And uh, while we're in in the world of dollars, let me tell you some of the things that you hear from this pulpit out of the Word of God and in your cell ministry, what you hear, some of that is worth a million dollars or more. A million dollars or more. Wisdom for life, to make life work. And it is not as we would think naturally in and of ourselves. Isaiah 55 Verses 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. That's what we're trying to do today in our society, to replace God's ways with our ways. And, and it's not going to work. Verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's important to think of the context in which this prophecy was given by Isaiah. This was a call to the Jewish people living in exile in Babylon. And he was prophesying and saying, detach yourself from Babylonian influences. Be amongst the people. Learn the language. Yes, but influence them. But don't let Babylon get on the inside of you. Because there's coming a day when I'm going to call you back to the promised land. And I need you as a restored people. A people who are ready to carry my divine purposes. And I believe that today God is prophesying the same thing over our lives. He is saying, I want my people to be back with me. I want Babylon out of them. I want the wisdom of this world out of them because I want to work in them in such an amazing way that they may be equipped to carry my purposes into the 21st century for the glory of God. Amen Amen and amen. Now, I use uh, a Bible which is called the Spirit-filled Bible. It's edited uh, the notes. Of course, it's the Bible, New King James Version, but it is also has a lot of study notes for different people, spiritual scholars and, and, and believers. And this is a quote from one of them about wisdom. The heart of wisdom is knowing the ways and the will of God and living in harmony with ultimate created reality. Let me read it again. The the heart of wisdom is knowing the ways and the will of God and living in harmony with ultimate created reality. I, I find that profound because what he's saying here is that God's way works. God's way is right. That is how life works on this created planet When God established the heavens and the earth and and created the world and created human beings and created male and female and created people and created families, He created it all in a certain way, in a certain framework. So we are fitting in with how we have been created to function. And that's why God's way is good and perfect and pleasing. That's why God's wisdom works and man's wisdom does not work. But I want to go a little deeper even than this quotation from the Spirit-filled Bible. I want to say it's not just about being in harmony with ultimate created reality, in other words, living in line with the natural principles that God has established in this world, but it's even more than that. It's lining up with the ultimate reality himself. Because this creation is an expression of who God is. Everything that he's made in this world reflects his glory and his power. And the way in which we are called to live in this life is an expression of God's nature, God's holiness, God's character. And I'll tell you something. It it, it is hard enough to try and make life work in a way that is contrary to the laws of the natural order. But imagine how hopeless it is to rebel against the God who put all that there in the first place you are never going to win in an argument with God why don't you get on his side why don't you say God if you are real if you exist show yourself to me and for those who are a little bit further on might say yes lord you have come to this planet you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ and At the cross, you have released your wisdom. I surrender to the wisdom of God. I line up to the purposes of God. I say, God, I'm not going to rebel against you. I'm not going to argue against you. God, if I've got a complaint, I will tell you about it. And this is what I still do even now coming up to 60 years of age and how many years I've been in the faith. Even now, if I disagree with something and it doesn't work in here, I say, God, I don't agree with this. But I don't say, Lord, you're going to have to change your mind. I say, help me, show me. I don't just accept it because it's here. I say, God, how can this work? And don't think that just because we are Bible-believing Christians that we've kissed our brains goodbye. It's not as if God has given us a dictate for absolutely everything we do in life, a specific commandment for how we blow our nose, a specific commandment for how we go to the toilet, a specific commandment for how we should dress and undress. There are religions today who treat people as being that stupid. No, no, no. God has given so many principles. Principles that will govern every moral question that we could ever have, but not always so directly. Sometimes we have to do the hard work of Bible exegesis. Sometimes we have to think and pray and learn how to reason spiritually and in a godly way to come up with solutions to increasingly complex problems. So it is not a doddle. It's not something that we just remain um, mentally and, and intellectually immature and live for God. No, we have to learn to love God, not only with our heart, our soul, but also with our mind and strength. And I want Kensington Temple people to be spirit-filled people. And I want your mind to be spirit-filled. If it goes according to plan, the next message will be about how to have a spiritual mind, how to be spiritually minded. But whether we get to that or not, let me give it to you now. God wants you to have a spirit-filled mind. And when and when, when we are submitted to God and we have a godly sense of searching after truth, we will come to scientific experiments. We'll look at scientific conclusions. And we will look at them from a point of view of surrender to god not mindless obedience as if as if we are the opposite of the free thinkers in this world there's enough to think about there's enough to look at there's enough problems that god has left us to work out using his wisdom it's a wonderful partnership with the holy spirit so we want to line up with ultimate reality so what then is human wisdom human wisdom is that which opposes God's will, God's ways, and God's purposes, because it's based on a flawed system of thinking, a darkened understanding, not just finite wisdom, because even in our most perfect, our minds are still finite, but now as fallen human beings, our minds are darkened through sin. Romans 1 describes this from verse 18 to 23. Read it later. I I can't read it out for you now, but I just want to explain it to you. Here is God saying that His judgment and wrath is upon all people, and they are without excuse because God has already spoken to every human being. He has revealed Himself through the things that He has made, even to His eternal power and deity. But the problem is, they now suppress the truth. They did not wish to retain that knowledge in their hearts and in their minds. And professing themselves to become wise, they became fools because they were darkened in their understanding, futile in their thinking. So even the most purest thinker, And uh, I've studied philosophy. It is one of my favorite subjects. I use it as as instead of just going to the gym, I exercise my body. I want to have a fit body, but I also want to have a fit mind. And some philosophical thought patterns are very important and helpful. But I'll tell you, even the purest of philosophers is never going to grasp the wisdom of God, namely the wisdom of how we should be saved. Paul in Second Corinthians, sorry, uh, in Second um, Timothy chapter 3, verses uh, 16 and 17, talks about Timothy coming to the place where he understood the Scriptures, which were able to make him wise for the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, all Scripture is profitable and useful for teaching, for correcting, for Uh, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There's the Scripture for you. So, the wisdom of God, first of all, is wise to be saved. What is it if you know the intricacies of every model of computer, past, present, and even one that you're inventing for the future, if you don't know how to be saved? What is it if you could resolve the hardest equations that would make Einstein sit down and boggle his mind? What good is it, as, as helpful as that is in many areas and, and, and aspects of life, if you don't know how to be saved? What good is it if you have the best business empire? You have produced the best political philosophy that has brought liberty to, to nations if you have, don't even know how to get saved. And some people can know all of that stuff, but a child from the Sunday school who says, yes, Jesus loves me, knows far more, and is far wiser than the greatest philosophers and educators. That's not to denigrate the importance of knowledge, but oh, the wisdom of kids, wonderful. I, just, I read a couple of stories of the, kids see things, kids see things, they're very wise. There's this story of, uh, they were sitting around, boy with his sister and, and, and with some friends, they're going through the family album, and when it came to the wedding photograph, the boy said, ah, that was the day that mummy came to work for us. <laughs> Oh, they see things out of the mouth of babes. And then just to even this thing, on the other side, there's another story where a father comes home from work with a bag of sweets and sits the kids down and says, now I've got some sweets for whoever listens to mummy, never argues and does exactly what she says. They said, who is going to have it? And they paused for a while and said, why, you daddy. <laughs> the wisdom of kids. But the thing about human wisdom is that it will ultimately fail. It will perish. It will come to nothing because it's not based on God's order in the world and His spiritual order of His kingdom. It's not based on His revelation and on His, or His power. Isaiah again prophesies in Isaiah chapter 40. He says, verse 7, The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. That is God's principal word for our generation. Human thinking shall perish. Human opinion is as ephemeral as the grass, which here today isn't gone tomorrow. Truth is not an opinion poll. Truth is not a consensus. Truth is who God is. Surely the people are grass. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God stands forever. Get your life founded on the Word of God. Get your thinking on the lines of the Word of God. Don't just do it in a Scripture text fashion. Last year, I wrote three books based on Christian manuals of training people for counseling. And we went into great depth of how we can deal with some of the big issues and problems that are happening today. Anorexia nervosa, self-harming, depression, Bipolar, many, many, many issues. and of course we thank God for the right kind of psychiatric help and medication which can really help in those areas, but at the end of the day, a person with these issues who may have their stable, be stabilized through medication still needs to come to know Jesus and still needs to see how Jesus operates at every day in their life to help them and to bring them into His purposes. So, we know that wisdom is based on the Word of God, giving you wisdom for salvation and wisdom for righteousness. But there's more, because the heart of the message of the Word of God is, and you know the answer to this, I'll set it up easy, the Bible speaks principally about Christ. Amen? The whole of the Bible is is a revelation of Christ Preparing for His coming and then showing us how we live in the light of His coming. Christ is the wisdom of God. And Paul doesn't just say, well, it's all about Jesus. He's more specific than that. He says, we don't just preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified, which is the very opposite of the wisdom of men. Because the cross is foolishness. That's why we should have a developed understanding and devotional appreciation and a submissive response to the teaching of the cross. Because it's the very heart of God's wisdom. The cross is divine wisdom spelled out. For there at the cross, Jesus laid the axe to the root of human fleshly wisdom and released us from all of the bondages of our own foolishness, our own egoism, and our own rebellion against God so that we might be released into the fullness of God's wisdom and know how it is to live for God and glorify His name. So this truth is based on the reality of Christ himself, who is God's wisdom, especially Christ crucified. Let's read it again, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 23 to 25. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God than the, than, stronger than men. Hallelujah. A great example of a man who chose to reject human wisdom in its most attractive form and chose rather to accept the wisdom of God is a man called Moses Let's read Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 25, 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction. I wonder how many of us are ready for that. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the wisdom of this world. Oh, suffer. Get out, get, get away with suffering. Joy. Yes, let's have some enjoyment. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked for the reward. Ha! <laughs> Something is coming. It belongs to the future life. We have a lot of blessings now, but the essential reward of a righteous life is in the future. Let's look at what he turned his back on. First of all, he turned his back on power. He was the prince of Egypt. He would have become the pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet. But he refused it. And how about Egyptian wisdom? I don't know if you've studied Egyptology, but these ancient civilizations, there are many programs on television that give you insight into that. That was an amazing civilization, the most advanced ever, and even now more advanced in some areas than we are today. They still don't know how they build their pyramids and a developed system of philosophy and a, a, a philosophy of life and a philosophy of death and life after death, very highly developed, the best that the world could offer And he turned his back on all the worldly wisdom. He turned his back on the pleasure. Imagine if you are the prince of Egypt, all you have to do is snap your finger and anything sensually pleasurable will be right there for you. Male, female, or or anything in between. And this was the lifestyle many of these people lived. I'm not being silly. Whatever he wanted was his. And the wealth... The vast wealth of Egypt, I mean, they had so much gold they could bury it with the pharaohs. We've got plenty more where that's coming from. He turned his back on all of that which we can say is the the wisdom of this world. The very best of what this world offers. How to live in a way that pleases yourself. How to get influence. And he exchanged all of that for what? By choice. The reproach of Christ the affliction with the people of God because of the reward that is to come. Oh, he must have had a, had a different vision of what it meant to walk with God. Recently, there was a film released dealing with teenage sexuality. Quite an endearing film in some respects, but it's the story of two teenage boys who are on summer holiday, and at the end of the summer holidays, despite their every effort, they still end up at the end of the summer Still virgins. So they sit together and talk about it. And one boy asks the other boy, why didn't you do it with Molly? And he replied, oh, she became a born-again Christian. The first boy thinks for a moment, then replies, that Jesus guy is no fun. Hmm. That's what our young people are being told. Fun. Think about sexually transmitted diseases. Think about unwanted teenage pregnancies. Think about young girls and boys, but particularly girls, who grow up with the notion that they're valued only for their body, not for who they are. That they have to enter into sexual relationship in order to keep a man close enough to be with him uh, and uh, to be with her. And then when she wants more, she wants marriage and family, suddenly, oh, no, I'm not ready for that yet. 20 years, 30 years, 35 years, not ready for that. And by that time, he's gone on and found somebody else that he can just have all of the blessings without any of the responsibility. Our society has got it wrong. This shows how foolish and ignorant is the wisdom of this age. So what is the difference between divine wisdom and human wisdom in summary? Human wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and even James says demonic. It's not just human thinking. There is an unseen hand, an unseen thought pattern that is influencing. Divine wisdom, on the other hand, is Bible-based, Christ-centered, and spirit-led. Human wisdom puffs itself up in pride in independence from God. Divine wisdom surrenders to the Lord, seeking to glorify Him, not ourselves. Focusing on the eternal wisdom of the cross. Human wisdom is plausible and appealing to fleshly thinking. Divine wisdom cuts the flesh and crucifies the desires. That's why sometimes when we are standing for righteousness in our society, it looks as if we are giving people the rough end of the deal. That if somebody has same-sex orientation, how, uh, and uh, and according to the teaching of the Bible, sexual practices, homosexual practices are not within God's remit and God's permissive will. Marriage between men and men and women and women is not ever provided for, taught, or even in any way, by any interpretation, allowable. So we say, amen. Do you know what one young man said to me in this context? He said, well, I may be sleeping with my girlfriend, but at least it's a heterosexual relationship. I'll tell you, because of the immorality, where the boundaries have been pushed back, we have let an avalanche come in. And so nobody can point any finger at anybody. We are all part of this, and we need God's help to restore sexuality to its God-given place where it functions best and glorifies God. Can I have an amen Amen. in the house of God today? But it does mean people of God, that we need to enter a sympathetic understanding, not condescending, but really understand what it might be for a young man or a young woman who knows nothing other than an orientation towards uh, sexual attraction to people of their own sex, and, and how, that would sh- how they might struggle with that in a community of people that say heterosexual way is the only way. There's no place to be gay amongst us, and, and the kind of uh, ostracizing and, and condemnation that comes. We need to know the Bible better than that and draw near people and be there for them and help them walk through their journey as to how they can honor God in the midst of what they are going through. And Kensington Temple, we need to get to that. Amen Amen and amen. But the wonderful thing is, is that God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Regardless of whether we are young or old, rich or poor, powerful or weak, famous or unknown, everyone, everyone needs the wisdom of God. We need to put our trust in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. And I'll tell you something, you don't have to be famous before you uh, know the truth. I mean, you don't have to be in who's who before you know what's what. Hallelujah. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the mighty. That's why the Bible says, "'Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings "'you've obtained strength.' Isaiah says, "'A little child shall lead them.'" Why is the least among us wiser than the most educated unbeliever? 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31. But of Him, it's His grace, are you in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God. Christ is the wisdom of God, and He has become for us wisdom. And look how He explains it. Wisdom, meaning righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let's get out there in our families and communities and educational places and places of work and live the wisdom of God so that we can reflect God's glory. And who knows but that we can also begin to see some of that divine wisdom rub off on others and influence them so our society can reflect more and more the glory of God. Is it a deal, people of God? Amen, amen. Give Jesus a big praise.